0: Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. We bring you leaders acting on their environmental values because too many people told me, I want to act, but if others don't, then what I do won't matter. We're here to make it obvious that you're not alone. You're part of a global community, a majority. Also, too many people told me, doing small things doesn't make enough of a difference and big things take too much work. Action matters more than the size you start with. You'll hear how action motivates guests from small things to doing big things. You won't find guilt, blame, doom, gloom, or telling people what to do. You will find leading without relying on authority, which brings what I found missing from acting on environmental values. Joy, discovery, growth, community, meaning, purpose, value, sharing. With global demand for environmental action, I bet you'll see that acting on your values doesn't distract from your life and career. Follow in these leaders' footsteps and beyond enjoying the environment, I bet you'll see promotions, Raises, more loyalty and trust in your relationships, and more. Today's guest is Sally Singer, creative director at Vogue.com. My conversation with her was so fascinating. This is the first one I've split one episode into two parts. Partly because this is such a new world for me, but I believe incredibly valuable for leadership. So the first episode, this one, is on Vogue.com. It's on storytelling and journalism in general. She's had a storied career throughout journalism, including the New York Times and Vogue now. It's about fashion, it's about style, it's about her meeting Chelsea Manning for the first time as a free woman. It's also her professional and personal development, her goals and achievement to reach these levels of the fashion world, of the journalism world. You get to hear her passion for these Nigerian youths. I'll get the link. Check it out because they have incredible style. And what they show and what Sally reveals about herself and what she's looking for, it's very different than I would have expected. Maybe it's because it's a world that I'm not so used to. Maybe you're more used to it, but I find it fascinating. And style and fashion are not about money. It's, I mean, this world is still foreign to me, but it's incredibly influential. Pick a great historical figure. Pick someone that you consider important throughout history. I bet he or she had a visual style. And more today than ever, because of the cameras everywhere and the distribution globally so easily. So let's listen to Sally Singer talk about herself, JournalismVogue.com, and in the next one, we'll talk more about the environment. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Sally Singer. Sally, how are you doing?
1: Fine. How are you?
0: I'm great. We're in these stunning offices of Vogue, and it's really beautiful here. And sorry the listeners can't see it. One of the goals of the podcast is to bring leaders from lots of different areas, because uh there's so many different ways so many ways that leadership happens in so many different areas and fashion i think of as a very two things i think about fashion one i don't think of my i don't think of myself as a particularly uh i don't think of it as my field so i'm kind of out of my element here but also it's a very influential field and i feel like it's it's a really big deal that you know uh in the environment people have constantly gone to science i think science and academia is where people have gone for leadership and I think that it's missing a lot of leadership from a lot of different areas. Did you read the story in the Sunday Times this week by, by any chance? And the uh, the Sunday magazine had one really long story on how in the decade between...
1: Oh, I, I haven't read it yet. I put it aside to read on a, um, on a trip I have to go on this weekend. Yeah, I did see that about how we've fallen behind in, in our... It, we were making pace towards um, writing... The wrongs of the in an environment and how it's all we're all moving backwards now, isn't it something like that? Something like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: And when I looked at it, it had a lot of scientists and low level, not really politicians, working on this stuff, and they weren't. I don't think they were leading very effectively. So I want to get to one. You as a as an individual have been in many leadership roles and have led many people, and then this field is very influential. And I feel like it's both of these things are missing from. Uh, environmental leadership. I want to get there by way of learning more about you, actually, if, if that's okay. Sure. Um, because you are the creative director here at Vogue.com
1: mm-hmm.
0: of, digital, of all digital. Uh,
1: I'm the creative de- director of digital for Vogue, yeah, the brand, which encompasses Vogue.com, our social channels, our uh, YouTube and video channels, all of the digital incarnations of the brand.
0: So that's, it sounds pretty, and that's, my understanding is that's roughly on par with, with print I mean, it was once only print, and now it's... It's,
1: it's not it's not a part. It's, 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 you know, the print, the print edition of Vogue is one incarnation of it. And in digital, we have many incarnations of the brand. Uh, they're all different. They're all unique. They share some content across all platforms. And then there's always, you know, platform-specific content. Um, but we have a vast global reach in digital for the brand, which is nice.
0: And you also come from, and you've spent a long time at Vogue. You, you were at the New York Times, at the Style Magazine, uh, London Review of Books. It seems like a lot of different things, but maybe that's from the outside.
1: Well, I mean, I've, I've been at um, American Vogue for a significant portion of my life, actually. And I was at British Vogue before American Vogue for a period. So... Um, there is some consistency there. I don't hop around that much, but I, I, I have in my time in fashion been fashion director of New York Magazine, style director of Elle Magazine, um, editor-in-chief of T for the New York Times, and that's probably it for my fashion life. And then before that, I worked in book publishing. I worked for Forrest, Strauss and Giroux, which is a New York-based book publisher. Um, and they have a division called Hill and Wang, which is uh, more academic. Um, part of the company I worked for Verso and New Left Review, and I worked for the London Review of Books. So I, I, you know, I've had a career in two parts, I guess.
0: When I think of people in journalism or in in print, or I, I think of storytelling is what they do. But I'm, is it, how would you is that what, what's your passion behind driving all this?
1: Oh, I think I do think storytelling is what. I do and is what motivates me to get up in the morning, go to work, and um, is the essence of everything we do now in digital at Vogue.com. I think, obvious, you know, storytelling when you're in print is rather, there. was kind of obvious what the manifestations of those stories are. There's text and there's, you know, a visual to go with it. Are there an illustration or pictures? Um, in storytelling online can take any form. It can be audio it can be video it can be a gif it can be a um a tweet uh it can be it can be a, a text story it can be a slideshow it can be a listicle it can it, it can be a cinemagraph i mean there's so many ways to tell stories when you have all of the digital tools in front of you so um for me the, the ability to if not tell stories to edit stories other people are telling has just increased exponentially by working in digital. It's much it's for me um, far more exciting than when we only had you know the printed word
0: oh, to definitely. deal with
1: but I still work on print as well so and I do love print and I do love the printed I love printed magazines and printed newspapers so I, I still I still actually contribute to the print publication as well
0: you said it was exciting and i was actually i was going to ask you that is it because i could imagine it could be daunting it could be uh anxiety causing
1: It's all those Um, things do okay yeah exhausting but it's fun if you like to tell stories there are so many ways to tell stories now and there's so many people telling stories because the tools of media are available to everyone now everyone can everyone can be a journalist everyone can report on their world everyone can narrate their life and they can gain, you know, scale and a global audience from it. It's kind of, it's good. It's, it's an interesting time.
0: I feel like you're partly saying that it's like encouraging to anyone listening, like you can do this, you can do.
1: Yeah, sure. Of course you can. I mean, and and I, I, I mean, even here at, 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 uh, Vogue and Vogue.com, I, I like working with user generated content and editing it into video and making doing collaborative work with people around the world. We, we do quite a bit of it now and i find it um you know it's fun it's really fun
0: yeah i uh when when you said we do quite a bit of it now the now implied that there's been some change you've been at this role for 5 6 years so
1: about well, i want to say probably about 5 years now i think we're doing we've done a we we've, we've worked with ugc content a bit over you know the course of the years but in the last year or so as we've built out um these features we call Vogue World. Uh, we published one grid of a hundred people in February, and we have another one coming up soon um, in the fall. We work with uh, collaborators all over the world to sort of help them tell their stories through our site, and it's. I'm in the midst of editing a lot of people's content right now, and it's really fun. Yeah, and you know we send. We send people uh, sizzle reels and and of and things we've modeled out of what how we think a story can be told, and they send in their version of it, and it's very collaborative. And you end up with something that's greater than the sum of any of the parts. So that's it. I, I find it very rewarding.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. The listeners can't see your face. I, I'm seeing like you're not faking it. So like you like you have this look of maybe a child playing with with. Toys or like uh like this is this is really like
1: Well, it's just super cool. I guess yesterday I was looking at a um a video we've just helped um two young men in Nigeria make who have just incredible style. And they document their world. And I mean they they have street style where there is no street. There's no street where they live. Like there's no street that you would identify as a street. Um, and they and they 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 dress incredibly and they customize everything and they're customizing things with feathers They're customizing things with anything they can find. It's, it's, it with you know, buttons and beads and whatever's left. And it's just brilliant. It's like what they're making is brilliant and the way they look is brilliant. And I think that's, that's street style. That is really something.
0: How did they, how are they able to reach you? Is it easy to reach you? Did...
1: We found them somewhere. Someone here likes what they one of the women who worked with me, I think, had, had seen, who travels extensively in Africa, had seen something and put it together that they're, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're customizers of things. Um, so they're designers of a sort and hooked us up. It's always, someone always finds people. People have style, it, you just find them. We just find them. They find us, we find them. It's fun.
0: It's funny when I you made me think of when I played sports when I played ultimate frisbee, an odd sport not played by many people, but a really intense sport. And one time I was walking around in Southeast Asia, I don't know where I was, and I just saw someone. I was like, "Do you play ultimate?" He was like, "Yeah, I do." And suddenly it connected to this whole community there. And I guess style has that too. Or I I don't know if, I don't know if I'm misusing style, fashion, these different terms.
1: I mean, I think it can if you have people with the right antennae around you and looking for the right things. I mean, I think that. But I, I, it is, it is, I, if, if you, there's never been a better time if you're, if you're interested in expressing yourself visually through fashion to be or because you can put yourself out there on Instagram or, and you can be a, you can be a star like in your own world and you can explain it to the world. You can explain it in text. You can explain it in video. You can, I mean, you can explain yourself and your, to the world and, um, if it's interesting, the world will probably find you and it'll watch. And that is just new. That's just in the last few years. It just didn't exist. So we don't find everyone through Instagram because I, I like whenever we're working with, you know, you know, really new people we find talented around the world or we find interesting around the world. I I like a mix between people who have substantial followings, which is would be the normal calculated way you'd go out because you know, people like to work with influencers, and influencers are people who have followings, so that you bring new eyeballs to what you do. It's a mm. kind of, you know, pariahish way of being. Sometimes you like people who have big followings because they're they it, because they're good at telling stories, and a lot of people watch them, and it's exciting. That's part of the deal. Yeah. And sometimes you like people who aren't on social media at all because you know they're interesting. They're just as interesting. They just don't have any social media for themselves. That's not where they put their energy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that it doesn't. Work for me. It doesn't mean that it won't work on our social media. We'll, we'll introduce them to people in that way. So I, I don't, I think always with, and I emphasis, emphasize this with my team when we're talent spotting and, you know, keeping our eyes and ears open, we got to keep it, op- we got to keep our eyes and ears open everywhere, not just on Instagram or a platform that's already established, because that only that recognizes some people's aspirations. It doesn't recognize the whole world's aspirations.
0: So when I think of, I mean, from where I am, when I see the, like, everyone seems so well-dressed and so well-made up and all this stuff. But, yeah, yeah, because I don't even know. Like, uh, my experience with Vogue is generally something like, I'll pick it up and kind of leaf through. Oh, the
1: printed magazine. Well, I mean, the printed magazine of Vogue is is a polished experience. It has to be. I mean, those pictures are beautifully made they are made with care they're made with time they're 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 constructed beautiful constructed images that's what a print magazine has even the most spontaneous ones and the ones done with photojournalists and we've you know Vogue's been working with some photojournalists recently and and with younger and newer photographers who work in a more spontaneous way but even then you know the construction of a print image there should be care it's not a happy snap it's not meant to live on Tumblr it's meant to live in print, it's meant to possibly go on a wall of a museum at some point. So, those images have to be done with care. Mm. And so, in that sense, anything done with care is going to be, be beautiful, it's going to have a beauty to it, even if it's not as, as, you know, striving for beauty in a conventional sense.
0: So, the way you're describing it, it makes it sound a lot more accessible than I would have thought. I, I mean, what you're describing before, it, it sounds you like. Go.com.
1: I mean, what I was talking about with Vogue.com and influencers and the that are people we find interesting?
0: Well, that, what I'm, I, that even more so. But even what you just said about the printed version, even though you're saying it's done with care and it might end up, uh, I guess, every single one, not every single one, but a lot of them are probably like this could end up on a museum wall someday. Even when you put it that way, now that I know why, not exactly why, but I feel like you're, the way you're describing it makes it seem more accessible. Now, what you talk about Vogue.com is way even more so. Uh, because it seems like the opposite of elite. You're trying to find what is out there, who's expressing themselves and how, and you're you're not trying to keep people out, you're trying to bring people in. Are you enjoying meeting this guest? Are you thinking about what you care about? I recommend making it active. Think about what you could do, not just analyze and plan, not do what others tell you to, but to live by your values. You'll enjoy your results, people will follow you more than you think, and you'll impact more than you expect. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast for examples of what others have done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, my experience of Vogue and my interpretation of Vogue, which is mine, I'm, gonna, I'm just speaking for myself here. I'm not speaking for, you know, the brand or, or my boss or anything like that. I mean, I've always seen Vogue as a kind of... um Well, I guess, I guess growing up, I I always saw Vogue as it was like, it was like getting a letter from the friend I would never have once a month that was going to tell me all these things that I didn't have any other access to except through the pages of this thing that arrived in the mail once a month when I was a subscriber, even as a child. And I don't think I saw that as an elite friend. I think I saw it as an astonishing friend, like just amazing. Like, You know, things I would get to look at that I would never have had access to look at in my life or people I would never know or... But then the prop, all of the propositions, aesthetic propositions that were inside, you know, that magazine, like all of the cues for fashion, I would just consider for my own life and infuse into the things that I sewed for myself or... reworked from the goodwill or anything like that. They were just directions. I never thought I would have the thing that was in the magazine, nor did I probably want that thing, but I wanted that feeling, you know? So if, you know, if everything was kind of shimmery and bugle beaded and, you know, mini, if I remember correctly, it was some period, maybe when I was trying to figure out my prom dress, I would make a shimmery short dress for myself and it would be my version of what was in Vogue. So I always thought of Vogue as a set of ideas that I could incorporate into my life. And I, and so in my own life, I never, I didn't register it as elite, as in, you know, elite as in walled off from my experience. I viewed it as on a continuum to my experience, but I was going to be my interpretation of it. And I, I guess I still see it that way. And I've seen it that way in all the time I've worked for it. And again, I don't, I, I do think that the, the printed version, of the printed incarnation of Vogue is highly, highly edited because it's only, even though it's very fat, it's only yay big. And the world is massive, but you can only tell so many stories a month in it. And those stories are really thought out. They're, every aspect of them is completely thought out. You can't just, you know, throw someone in for the hell of it. So in the mix of stories, in the mix of people who are profiled, in the mix of models who appear in the pages and celebrities appear in the pages – it kind of has to be the most interesting of the most interesting, the best of the best, the most beautiful, the most beautiful, the most kind of provocative, provocative, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be that. And then once someone is going to be in the pages of a subject is selected, the treatment of them visually has to be extraordinary. Now, whether it accords with one's idea of beauty, I don't know, but it has to be extraordinary. So that can mean, and it has to be as well, not not mocking, tabloid, humorous, odd for the sake of being odd. It has to be respectful, inspiring. Every every reason we put that person in there, which is because we're really interested in them, has to come out in that picture. I'm thinking of a picture we did this year of, um, well, actually it's two, probably 2017, now this is 2018, of Chelsea Manning um, when Chelsea was released from... Um, prison in in Kansas and she came to New York and she was shot by Annie Leibowitz and Phyllis Posnick for the print edition of Vogue. And it was on a beach in a red swimsuit because Chelsea loves to swim. I don't know if you saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's an incredibly beautiful and strong picture of Chelsea Manning. Um, it's not a fashion picture. It's not positing her as a fashion person. The choice of the swimsuit is literally because that is what Chelsea most wanted to do when she got out of prison was to swim. That was her goal was that she could finally swim again. And that was important to her. And um, I think Chelsea Manning is someone that we thought was worthy, interesting, for some of us, you know, important. And but that's not elite. That's not an elite story. But we, you know, we had the we we had a profile of her, and the New York Times Magazine did. So it was elite in the sense that only two places was she going to give interviews to, and one news at TV news outlet, I think, as well, maybe ABC or something. So she wasn't going to do press everywhere. So it's an elite experience to get to work with her. But is that an elite story? I don't know. Not to a lot of people, right?
0: Yeah, I don't, it's
1: not probably your idea of what when you say you think of Vogue is a beautiful world of just elite people. That's probably not a story that would come to mind. But that's one of the most important stories we did last year, in my view.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really taking. I don't know if you. I don't know how it's registering on my face, but what, what I'm hearing now, I wish I'd heard a long time before because it would give me. A, a, I'm one. I'm going to re-listen to what you're saying many times, and two, I'm going to relook at Vogue in a new way. It, it reminds me of. Uh, I don't know how off this how. If this will sound similar or different, but uh, years ago I was I was on a long car trip and uh, someone in the car, was he taught film at NYU in Columbia and we were going around like, what's your favorite movie? And he started talking about the French New Wave and I had no idea about the French New Wave. and I didn't know about the studio system before it and how it changed everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, what, what made it happen was he said his favorite movie, when, when it came to his turn, like, what's your favorite movie? He said American movies of the 60s and 70s. And everyone else in the car, it was a road trip. And we were like, what does that mean? Why that? And he talked about how the studio system, it, the, the director was just kind of like a, an employee and right. it was, you know, big cast of thousands. And people started not going to see them anymore because it was just big cast of thousands. And the French, sorry, well, it was, yeah. well so the French New Wave was a very personal sure. and they did what they could. Yeah. And when I went back and watched Godard and Truffaut and René, and I was like, wow. And then I went and rewatched like Easy Rider and Harold and Maud and uh, you know m- the movies around then uh, Graduate did I say and um, what was the other one I'm trying to think of anyway it was and I was like oh now I see an American take on this thing it was really opened up a whole new world for me and the way you're talking feels like there's something in fashion or a lot of things in fashion that I just have I just kind of was like well that stuff is over there I don't really know.
1: But- Why would you? I mean, this is just one story of many stories that probably, I mean, uh, you know, this is one of many stories that um, could easily slip one by, slip by one during the in the media times we live in, which are fully, you know, fully saturated. For me, what was most another sort of interesting side note to the Chelsea Manning story for us is that um, when Chelsea was released from um, prison, myself and a colleague of mine here and friend Jordan Bickham put together the clothes that were sent to the um, prison That she, so when she got out she could dress as a woman because when she had entered prison she had not transitioned yet. She entered prison as a man, as Bradley Manning. And we knew that when she came out she she didn't, she wouldn't have anything to wear. And so we put together a care package of clothes that were donated from friends and donated from our closets and sent it to her. And then she came to New York and she came to where I then lived, which was the Chelsea hotel. And we, my neighbor, not Ni- Niall, um, smile was an amazing. tailor, did all of like sex in the city clothes and all of Sarah Jessica Parker's clothes. It, like one of the best of the best of the best tailored all these clothes that we had put together for her. And we, gave her some clothes to wear, like a wardrobe. And then I went shopping with her a couple times. For, uh, we went to like some vintage stores to to help her. And she had very specific ideas of what she wanted to wear and what her look was. You didn't have to help her construct a look, just had to maybe help assemble the parts. And for me, and that was totally separate to what was happening with the print magazine and that print story it was a totally separate Operation done out of the website, but in conjunction, we were trying to um, just with the resources we have, help someone feel comfortable in the world when the world was not going to be a very comfortable place, just for a while. Go into prison is one thing; come out as a celebrity mm-hmm. who stands for a lot of things to a lot of people, and you know you have to. Walk, you're going to walk the streets for the first time, really, as a woman, and that is. An uncomfortable th- something that most women have spent their whole lives negotiating, and you know have some comfort or discomfort with it, but know their way around it. And how do you help someone do that? How do you just make that easier? Like how do you give someone the the mental freedom to b- to blend in, to not stand out, to stand out when they want to stand out, to you know, yeah, feel it at ease in a world that's not a world filled with ease for anyone, but especially not for someone coming out as famous and infamous to some people. And so that was a project that done through the auspices of, well, Vogue or Vogue.com. Would well, that, and that might maybe, what I wrote about it on site. We did do a story. I did a story with her too. Nathan Heller did a brilliant, brilliant piece in the print magazine. We did a second smaller story on site about, um, her fashion sense and dressing her and the like. And, you know, those are things that I don't think people necessarily ascribe to being part of Vogue, but it is part of the power of Vogue that you can think that hard about what it means to get dressed in the morning and what it means to be a woman and dress that way in the morning. And so I, you know, that's the Vogue that I work for. There might be a lot of other Vogues and there might be a really elite idea of Vogue but the Vogue that I work for does that. That is what I do. And that is what we do. So when we're working with people in Nigeria to make videos about the way they dress, I want to know why they dress that way. Why they get up in the world and dress that way. That's what Vogue should do.
0: You you say that you can do that and I feel like that you, I feel like I'm, from you it sounds like almost your responsibility your your
1: that's what uh, makes what makes coming to work exciting. Makes it interesting. I mean, that's the whole point. People get dressed up in the morning and they create themselves. Designers get up in the morning and figure out ways that they think the world should look for a time, for a short time, not forever, but like for two months, three months. I mean, right now, a fashion season is about a month, it would seem, because there are shows every, you know, freaking month. But, okay. you know, for a season, whatever the season now is, or the mid season or the half season, designers wake up and they have to create, um, and express the propositions for how people should look on the streets. That is interesting, and also your own sense of what that should be next, and how can you find the people? How can you create the idea that that's the way the world should look next? And what does that mean? It's fun.
0: Yeah, my, my idea of self-expression is so rooted in word, printed word, spoken word, and not so much the visual you get part. This
1: every day?
0: Yeah, and and well, okay. I mean, for a long time, it was just jeans and a t-shirt. And it's often very functional. And I, yeah, it's like when, the way you're talking makes me more in tune to it in a way that I, I, it's not, it's like out, it's outside of my realm. And also part of the reason I'm here is that I feel like, as I was saying before, this, um, of, I think a core part of leading effectively is to express, express yourself authentically, express yourself genuinely, to be aware of what you have to express. And I feel like that's something that's missing a lot in the scientific talk and the doom and gloom talk, that it's – there's part of me that says, Josh, you don't know what you're doing over at Vogue, at Vogue.com. You, it's it's out of your element. And part of me is like, it's very – correct me if I'm wrong. This is a very influential business. This is a very influential – not just this business, but yeah. For
1: media. What part of this? What
0: side of it? Yeah, from any perspective. I mean, fashion, media, I guess so
1: they, journalism yeah. – Fashion and media, yeah, they're both influential businesses in different
0: ways, I guess, similar in different ways. If you had asked me before this episode what area I would split the first interview into two parts because I found it so fascinating, I doubt I would have guessed fashion or style. Now, having listened to it, I'm not so surprised. I mean, partly it's because my inexperience and my, my ignorance of the field. Almost no one in fashion I see acting environmentally at the level that they could, and almost no one in the environmental world is acting with an engaging style, whereas great leaders throughout history consistently have a visual style that's remarkable and memorable. And listening to her, it's about something much more deep than what you see on the surface. It's about self-expression. It's about stories. It's about people at the foundation and that's what leadership is about. So this episode was educational for me since she shared that depth and how personal it was beyond what I think outsiders would have expected, at least me. So I think I sold this area short, but I think it's totally missing from environmental activity, yet it's critical for leadership. There's still the second half of my first conversation with Sally in which we talk about the environment and her personal commitment to act on her environmental values. So stay tuned for part two of episode one. Does hearing leaders acting on their values make you think of yours? Nothing will make you feel better than acting on them. Value means better. Acting on your values means improving your life. Committing publicly helps many people and builds community too. If you want, click on commit to a personal challenge to share what you do with this community. You'll be a leader among leaders. We're more than a podcast. We're a movement to share how acting on environmental values means fun, joy, growth, and so on, not sacrifice or deprivation. If you want to join or help, contact me at spodak.net or at joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. You'll grow as a leader, you'll enjoy yourself, and the world and your communities will thank you for it.